John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. Entry 091.EP0427. Certificate number 30148. Backmasking. I don't understand a word you're saying. John, I don't know if you're trying to speak a language of the future, but I, I, I can't understand. I don't know if our listeners can either. What are you saying? I do have a strange urge to listen to a podcast now. What's going on here? Yeah, well, the thing is that <laughs> I was speaking backwards, which uh, is a technique that recording artists have used for many years as a kind of artistic statement, but... It is very controversial because there is a suggestion or there was, uh, it was a popular suggestion in the 1980s that backwards recordings could influence us subliminally. Right. And this was part of a sort of a general fear of what youth culture could do to your kids without you even noticing, right? This right. is like the ultimate parental paranoia. What if, in addition to all the terrible things I hate about this music, there are other layers of things I would even hate more? Right. The, the initial, uh, when rock and roll first appeared on the scene, there was tremendous panic about it. And most of it was from sort of the typical sort of white Christian culture overseers who believed that the introduction of these African taboo rhythms uh, were going to turn our youth into sex-crazed tribal maniacs. I actually, I remember finding a book like that my parents had inherited from somebody on a shelf when I was a kid, just shaking its finger against jungle rhythms. Yeah, jungle rhythms. And I, you know, when I listened to my Queen LPs or whatever, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> notice too many jungle rhythms. They're there. Uh, the thing is that we live now in a world in which rock music has been co-opted by evangelical Christianity. Every Christian church in America has got a rock band up there chugling along with their pro-Jesus message. 
and in fact, they've, you know, it's been co-opted by everyone. Now you right. hear a nice, you know, rock uh, lick or hook and you think, oh, I wonder which car commercial I'm going to see that on. Yeah, I can't you know? wait to buy insurance from that <laughs> cool jam. But in the early days of rock and roll, it wasn't just that they were against rock musicians and Elvis, the pelvis shaking his pants, but they actually believed that the very sounds, the very rhythms used in rock and roll were going to communicate a kind of like primitivism to their children. And it was just going to be there. They weren't going to be able to resist sex. I'm sure there was some level of uh, racial paranoia. Oh, do you this. think? Do you think I, so? I would just go out on a limb and yeah. say that uh, a lot of it was, oh, this is not the music that the white boys and girls are listening to. Right. Not a coincidence that this was happening during the you know, the civil rights movement and some of the most tense periods of the early civil rights movement. Which, and, is, which is funny because I understand the scholarly consensus today, this is getting a little further afield, is that there is not a, a, a less than you would think of actual continental African influence in most strains of American popular music. That, you know, even the stuff we think of as, you know, music from minstrel shows, for example, was all just counterfeit Appalachian culture with blackface on it. That's right. The, the, the thing about rock and roll is that it really is a melding of the sort of repetitive uh, call and response music that were used on plantations, but really, really heavily influenced by the Scots-Irish music of the Appalachians and the, you know, the, uh, and the combination of the two produced rock and roll. It's not clear to me whether I'm being more or less problematic by saying that, uh, Rock has a big white influence. Like, I, maybe that, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be open-minded here, but maybe I just made it worse. The thing is that it, you know it's hillbillies, right? So you can that's, that's true. That's a group of people you can still you can still disparage. I am no, I'm I'm actually uh, extending a gesture of peace to the disenfranchised hillbilly and trying to. I don't want to appropriate their culture, but I want to recognize their influence. But uh, that early rock music did come from a just as much of a country tra tradition as it did a black sure. tradition, but. It is indisputable that both of those traditions came from the South, and the I South see. had a lot of, uh, was very threatening to the North in a lot of ways. If right? you're a suburban white mom in 1958, it doesn't matter whether it's hillbillies or race records. Right. It's all, it all seems maybe not as nice as the Perry Como you, you were trying to buy your kids. Well, and during World War II, there was this massive migration out of the South into the North to work in Northern factories during the war. So Detroit and St. Louis and Buffalo, uh, you know, all of a sudden had these, first of all, a big influence of blacks from the South, but also, you know, poor whites from the South coming up. And so there was a cultural conflict happening between the North and the South as the South kind of, uh, there was a Rose diaspora. Again. But this traditional paranoia about rock and roll, even as the, uh, the music morphed, the culture morphed along with it. The, by the 60s, very few ministers were still saying that the taboo rhythms were the things that were going to corrupt our youth. Now it was the message that was within the rock, right? I mean, the Beatles had long hair and that was going to feminize the youth of America or, you know, feminize sure. our young boys. Or, or John saying at a press conference that, um, look how messed up society is. We're more popular than Jesus. Right. And they were, they were burning their records around the Just world. Bonfires. And the, the Beatles were on tour in the U S at the same time as, you know, pastors in, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina and everywhere else are, are inviting you to bring your Beatles records down to, to burn outside the, the church. Right. Smash them and burn them. Well, by the 70s, uh, there was a lot of, 
I mean, the rock and rock and roll had expanded to occupy almost every sphere from heavy, you know, from the heaviest English metal of Black Sabbath and their their sort of, you know, Birmingham steel vibe to the Eagles in Southern California with their groovy country vibe. And there was still a lot of fear and a lot of uh, terror about music within the grown-up culture. Uh, disco was was turning our kids into coke fiends, and I don't think anybody was afraid of the Eagles exactly. Maybe just that it was going to water down our kids. I love the idea that there might be one pastor who just really hates the Eagles. <laughs> kids, I just want you to listen to Jim Morrison, please. Yeah, please. Although Hotel California... The Eagles' uh, long mega hit does have a lot of references to a kind of supernatural, maybe a hell. Uh, there does appear to be a devil within the song Hotel California that's trapping you in this very pleasant coastal hotel. It is It is set up like a horror movie. Yeah. Right? You, know, you can the, check the, out anytime you like, but... The slow reveal that it's not as... Despite the mirrors on the ceilings and the champagne on ice that... Maybe you can never leave. Right. But by the 1980s, uh, this talk of the effect that music was having on kids turned to talk of the subliminal. Um, And this coincided, of course, this whole period that we're talking about of rock and roll also was the period where psychology was disseminated in our culture, right? In 1940, there was no real widespread concept of our psychology, and I think you see that in the way that the World War II generation reflected on their experience. A lot of them just didn't ever talk about what happened uh, because psychology wasn't really a part of the way that they grew up thinking about themselves. It's not that they didn't have complicated feelings about the war. It's just their kids never knew, maybe. Their kids never knew because they weren't brought up in an environment where it was understood that things left lasting impressions on your emotional life. There was no Fred Rogers type encouraging them to open up. And although it was post-Freud, a lot of that Freudian thinking all had to do with human sexuality and whether or not you uh, desired your sex with your mother or whatnot. Yeah, I feel like America kind of slept on Freud. It was was European and suspicious, you know, (laughs) oh, Freud, he's the one that says, you know, girls wish they had a -a ding-a-ling, you know, or, you know, can you believe this uh, reprobate wacko? But that got really popular. Analysis got really popular among the intellectual classes and the upper middle class in America in the 1950s. It was part of the kind of urbanization and the hipster culture of the 50s. But then that got more and more widespread, as things do, as elitist culture kind of goes out and is disseminated. And by the 1970s, we think of that as an era where we were really having encounter groups and really delving into our psychological natures and our past hurts. And I feel like this might coincide with other kinds of bursts of interest in possible subliminal messages, right? Do do you remember this, the guy who had the bestseller about how ads are concealing all kinds of subliminal, like Madison Avenue is, um, do you remember this guy? Sure. There'd be like a picture of ice cubes and a glass of scotch, and he would point out how it says sex 30 times in the ice cubes. Yep. Or like, the, in order to persuade the American youth that they should drink alcohol, a very hard proposition, you need to hide the word sex, and then they'll be like, oh, oh alcohol, you say? Sex. I should perhaps try some of this. Well, and this is a this is a, a big theme in advertising. If you look at a pack of Camel cigarettes 
within the camel, the picture of the camel on a pack of camels, there's a man standing with an erection. I have heard this. Yeah. And you can see it. It's visible uh, if you're looking for it, right? This is all stuff that you can see if you're looking for it. But I, I don't I don't believe any of it. Am, am I wrong to think that nobody ever said, hey, if we put a guy with a, a, an erection on the camel, then kids are going to want to smoke. I think it could be, I think in order for it to have any convincing basis, it would not be that you would put a man with an erection on a pack of cigarettes, which kids at the time were scrambling to right. consume as soon as they could. Finally, kids will want to smoke. Yeah, but put a man with an erection in hidden in the label of a bottle of vitamins, that would be the, or like a package of spinach, like that would be the <laughs> sign that the subliminal message was working. Like, oh, if I eat the spinach, I'll get a heart on. But it was part of how we were thinking. And, and it had to do with a resurgence in religious interest, but also a resurgence in the uh, interest in the supernatural. These were also eras where people were experimenting with Buddhism and right. they were experimenting with alternate realities. And, you know, think about all that time life books, mysteries of the unexplained stuff like total boom and flying saucer and right. Bigfoot and, uh, and the Bermuda Triangle. Sure. Bermuda Triangle is actually a fairly late invention. Like that was not a 19th century thing that sailors talked about. No, it, this was it just totally came out of pulp magazines. And then this sort of seventies new age thing. This was all post-war. Yeah. And, and some of it had to do also with uh, the hallucinogenic drugs. And I mean, it was a period of tremendous expansion in what we thought what, and, and the, men, the the entire idea that we were only using 10% of our brains. Which is not true. Which meant that... If you're only using 10% of your brains because you've seen old motivational posters, please stop. Uh, we can do MRIs. That's, that's not even close to yeah, that. Yeah, that was the fashionable thing to think for a period of time in this same era. Unlock your hidden potential. Right. That it's, it's very tempting, the idea that I might have powers that I can unlock if I just think about it enough. The 90% of your brain you're not using. Exactly. And, and there was a lot of evidence. People that sustained traumatic brain injury were suddenly able to draw from memory a very detailed drawing of, of a cityscape. People with severe autism or that were on some kind of spectrum had these talents, these mathematical talents or things that seemed supernatural. And we imagined that we all had the ability to do these things, we just weren't able to access these parts. Of We're all savants, right? Right. Somewhere inside. There's also probably, it's, a lot of it is probably kind of a distrust of authority of all kinds hmm. that's been growing. You know, we think of this as sort of a conservative evangelical pastor shaking his fist, but there's also the general sense in the culture that uh, we do not believe every government press release anymore. And maybe the casualty counts coming from the Pentagon are not accurate. And as a result, hey, you know, what's advertising secretly doing? What's the music industry secretly doing? And certainly the baby boomer generation at that point, circa late 60s, early 70s, they did believe in this sort of post-Ken Kesey idea that we were all born artists and that conformism was the thing that we needed to rebel against and that if we could just get out from under the Man, we're stardust, we're golden, That's but, we're, right. but we're here in the devil's bargain, John. <laughs> That's right. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. 
Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. But by the 1980s, you know, the dream of the 70s had, had gotten pretty ugly. Thank you, cocaine. And I remember very distinctly listening to the radio in 1982 and in Anchorage, Alaska, where I was a preteen or an early teen, and hearing this new controversy, which was that a, a minister in, in the United States by the name of Paul Crouch had discovered... Paul Crouch. Paul like, Crouch. That's what you would name him if you were inventing some evil minister who hated the X-Men or something, I right? <laughs> I know. So a minister pr- prior to Paul Crouch named Michael Mills had been saying that there was subliminal messages in rock music. But it was Paul Crouch that discovered that within Stairway to Heaven, the epic... We have to be discovered in quotes, like, like we do for Columbus Discovered, now. right. John's doing quotes. You can't, you can't see future people. Discovered that within... Um, the there's a bustle in your hedgerow, don't be alarmed now, verse of Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. Right. There was an entire passage, a subliminal passage, that if you played this song backwards, you would be able to hear uh, the following message. Oh, here's to my sweet Satan, the one whose little path would make me sad, whose power is Satan. He'll give those with him 666. There was a little tool shed where he made us suffer, sad Satan. Now, I don't want to disagree with the eminent Dr. Crouch, but it sure seems like if you wanted to plant a message to confuse America's youth into worshiping Satan, you wouldn't have to add the things about the tool shed Mm. or why he has a sad path. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem like the message has really been honed. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, it's but, all over the place. And the, <laughs> why is he sad? He shouldn't be sad if you're trying to recruit kids. Why does he have a little tool shed uh, where he made us suffer? But this is the thing about Satan. He's inscrutable. And I think this suspicion, I guess, was that if Satan just blatantly was like, I am Satan, worship me, uh, that it would not wind its way into our minds as well as this kind of, because rock lyrics are also inscrutable. Like if there's a bustle in your hedgerow, don't be alarmed now. Yeah, I mean, let's be clear. This message, this uh, lyric does not make sense forward either. It's just a spring clean for the May queen. But so here it was. And if you play this passage backwards as, and, and we've, you've just heard it on the show. It is uncanny that it really does sound. It's very intelligible. 
Oh, here's to my sweet Satan, the one whose little path would make me sad, whose power is Satan. Why is his power Satan? His power is Satan. His name is Satan. His Don't. power presumably is, is a, a series of other things. Don't argue. His power is Satan. He'll give those with him 666. There was, there was a little tool shed where he made us suffer, said Satan. If he's going to make us suffer. Right. Why do you want that? Is it said Satan or sad Satan? Sad Satan. You're oh, right. Okay. It is sad Satan. I thought maybe Satan was saying of someone else there was a tool shed where he made us suffer. No, no, no. And he's Satan's going to save us from the tool shed with his satanic powers. So there was some connection with this idea to actual to Led Zeppelin's own mythology about their selves. Uh, Jimmy Page was a, a very vocal fan of Aleister Crowley, the early 20th century British magician and magic with a K magic with a K insufferable British magic, uh, where he was investigating all and kind of compiling all the works of various old magicians, magic, uh, and trying to codify a system where one could study magic and become a practitioner of magic. I kind of suspect that, uh, they should have just stuck with the Tolkien references. You, you know? are you're shaking your head here very dismissively of Aleister Crowley. But one of Aleister Crowley's ideas was that a magician should prepare themselves to think what we would now describe as outside the box, but to think outside of the, the conventional thinking as a way of preparing themselves to have connection to the magical world. And one of the ways to do that was to learn to think backwards and to speak backwards. And one of the... Um, the major sort of features of Satanism is to recite the Lord's Prayer backwards. Really? That's one of the, the major parts of a satanic service is to say the Lord's Prayer backwards. And do you just say individually each word backwards? Like, do you say... No, do you say like... Uh, Forever, glory, the, and power, the, like, you actually say each individual word phonetically backwards. I'm not sure. I've never been to a satanic mass. I guess we should not fool around with this. We don't want to summon the Dark Lord during these recordings. That's right. Do not try to do it, and don't try it at home. There's a lot of downside. Yeah. You don't want to be suffering in a tool shed just because you, <laughs> took, right. you took a podcast too literally. These stunts are performed by professionals. <laughs> Uh, so this idea was already kind of within the realm of thinking about Led Zeppelin, that Jimmy Page was... And Led Zeppelin probably loved this. I mean, like if there's one band that's going to be like, oh yeah, Secret <laughs> Mess just to Satan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and the, the runes on the cover of the fourth record, those all mean something crazy and astrological, probably. It certainly was a part of the idea. I mean, heavy metal and uh, dark rock was already summoning... Uh, our, you know, our dark feelings. What a gift they got handed to them by their ideological enemies, you know? Oh no, there's secret uh, mystical messages in this music. Don't listen to it, kids. Well, so, uh, so Alistair Crowley actually recommended listening to records backwards in order to train your brain to think backwards. But it wasn't popularized until the 1960s to include actual backwards recording in albums. I wonder if it. Uh, I wonder if the rise of it ties to when people actually did have like some kind of reel-to-reel -reel tape recording that they could goof around with. Well, it was because I remember as a kid. Did you do this as a kid? I would like record myself and then either make it fast like the Chipmunks or play it backwards, and I would try to say things that would sound like English when played backwards. Like I realized if I said the words "novella net neon" and you played it backwards, it would say nine, ten, eleven. 
Hmm. But it would do so in a weird, like, nine, ten, eleven. How charming. Like a Twin Peaks little person. Uh, no, my father only bought really cheap stereo equipment that could not do any of these things. But growing up in Alaska, we had the outdoors to play in, so we didn't have to do this thing. <laughs> you, you had glaciers. <laughs> it had never occurred to me uh, until I heard this radio program. And it was at a time in my life and at a time in our culture where the idea that Led Zeppelin was communicating satanic messages to us through a song we'd heard many times, put the hair up on the back of your neck. Like, <gasps> is this real? Were you worried or were you intrigued? I was intrigued. Not that I was nervous about Satan getting into me, but just that this was possible because this is an example. And we see this throughout our time that someone comes up with a theory and the theory has sort of I mean, it sounds, maybe this is plausible, right? It's very difficult to prove. Later on, when Judas Priest was accused of this, the Judas Priest's manager's response was, look, if we were going to put a backwards message into a track, it would be buy seven albums, buy seven albums. It would not be kill yourself. Yeah, you don't want to kill off your fans. Right. Like, uh, all the money's in the tour, you know? That was precisely their point. But if a minister comes out and says, this is a way that rock music is trying to Satanize our youth, it's in an intriguing theory. And unlike Cold Fusion, where you can say, well, we can't duplicate this experiment, so therefore you cannot create Cold Fusion in a Coke bottle uh, with, some, with some aluminum foil and some good intentions, you cannot in fact, really disprove it either. And our culture right now is really, really powered by the gasoline of a lot of unproved theories about how people transmit information and what our culture's subliminal uh, motivations are. I mean, there are a lot of people that will attribute the whole idea of American society now to an intention that isn't overt. And so this is, this is not uncommon. And those intentions are very convincing when you hear, when you hear them described, because again, if you look for a man with a, an erection on a pack of camels, you'll see it, but it, re it requires that you look to see rather than that you independently discover the truth of these things. And you have the idea that you're, you're some kind of seeker that you've seen under the hidden it's the same appeal as any conspiracy theory. Right. You've seen behind the fabric of society and you know what's actually powering it. And it's these kinds of subliminal. But in this case, it took the country by storm. And all of a sudden, rock music from Queen to Electric Light Orchestra. Queen was the first one I heard. Is that right? Do you know what song I'm going to say? Uh, another One Bites another the one Dust. Another One Bites the Dust. So if yeah. you play Another One Bites the Dust backwards, I think the title line, right, supposedly mm -hmm. says... It's fun to smoke marijuana. It's fun to smoke marijuana. And that is also very audible if you're listening for it. I feel like if you did not, if you had not been given that, you would not think, huh, they're saying it's fun to smoke marijuana. No. And in fact, all of this uh, Satan talk in Led Zeppelin, if you're not listening for it, it just is like, he's awesome. Zip, zip it, zip, sure. zip. Although Satan does stick out. <laughs> but electric light orchestra sticks. I mean, you know what? But if you take it entirely as a like an overall conspiracy of rock, it gets back to taboo rhythms, right? Where there is something intrinsic to rock music that is trying to bring our youth into 
worship of Satan and away from away from house and home. Just something something getting into your reptilian hindbrain that mom and dad can't control. I mean, I I remember it being sort of retroactively applied to the Beatles, who did who did backward mass guitars on on some of their. So the songs. Beatles were the first band to popularize this technique as a recording technique on their on the song Rain, right? On their album Revolver, and they did it in three songs on Revolver. They did it in Rain, they did it in I'm Only Sleeping, and famously in Tomorrow Never Knows, sure. which is a you know uh, an incredible track made up of loops, tape loops, and a lot of backward stuff. Rain was the B side on Paperback Writer, and I, I feel like there's some story about them discovering it kind of accidentally in the studio by threading a tape wrong. And it's one of those where and John Lennon being a little high, and uh, Lennon's claimed that he did it first. George Martin claimed it was his idea, but it's indisputably like uh, uh, one of these many, many things that the Beatles did that revolutionized how we hear music. It's George Martin. I mean, the, uh, the the reason I always think this is funny that the Beatles wanted to work with Martin because he was a comedy producer. Mm-hmm. He produced comedy records. And back then, that's where the experimentalism was. You know, to record a band playing a song, you would flip a switch. And then three minutes later, you would flip the other switch. And boys, there's the song. But comedy albums, you had to deal with sound effects and uh, all kinds of crazy vocal effects. Right. And so George Martin knew how to do all these things that nobody had ever put on a music record before. And of course, today, it's totally... The opposite. Comedy records are are recorded. Just flip a switch. Front and... to back, like just red, you know, it starts with Red Fox. And, you know, music albums are as layered and overworked as, as any work in any medium ever. And this is post, in the early 50s in France, there was a uh, an avant-garde art movement called Musique Concrète, which was tape loops and, and chopped up, you know, a, a very avant-garde, very and, and eff- effectively unlistenable kind of tape, but challenging prob- uh, compositions. But probably the same kind of thing, right? Tap the unconscious, right. and uh, you know, it's like William R. William Burroughs' automatic writing kind of a stuff. You know, like this will this will tap the hidden powers of your brain, and you'll extract meaning. And well, and it's going to shake the foundations of our culture because everyone's going to be listening to music concrete, and it's going to you know overturn the conformity of, of the third regime. It did not bring to pass a Marxist utopia. Sorry. No, Sorry, it did Moosey not. Concrete. But, uh, but the Beatles, of course, thought of themselves as very avant-garde, and they introduced this idea. You can flip the tape over and, and record backwards. And in fact, on, in my own band, The Long Winters, we have done this very thing. It requires that you thread the... the we, but this is back when we were recording to magnetic tape. You actually flip the tape over and record your song. So there's a guitar solo on one of our tracks that's backwards. And backwards guitar sounds amazing. It's incredible. You can see the appeal immediately. It's unearthly. You, you kind of have to start, so in a typical guitar solo, you kind of start down in a low register, and you work up to the climax of the solo, which is up high, you know. And when you're recording a backwards solo, you start up high with your big triumphant notes, and then gradually kind of, uh, head toward the bottom of the register. And then when you flip it over, it sounds like a very natural composition. And when you're playing to music that's backwards, the chord progressions come very differently. It sounds like a completely different song, but it is musical. Uh, the only, I wanted to tell you, the only Beatles example I'm aware of is I think not a real one, uh, but the one I heard about as a kid is um, when you hear John saying number nine, number nine in, in Revolution 9 on the White Album, if you play that backwards, it sounds apparently something like Turn Me On, Dead Man. Mm-hmm. Turn me on, Dead Man. 
And this is part of the Paul is dead conspiracy. It was one of the crucial pieces of evidence that Paul McCartney had died in a car crash and been replaced by a double in the late 60s. So, yeah, which, to, which, by the way, Future Links, turned out to be the absolute truth. Like, we now know in, in, in our time that that did, in fact, happen. But it was controversial for many years. This is a thing that Future Links might not be aware of. But yeah, the, the, a part of the Beatles cult was that Paul died in 1966 and was replaced with Billy Shears, a lookalike and soundalike. And people would comb the records and, and packaging for clues. Like, that's why Paul's eyes are closed on the cover of Abbey Road. Right, and he's barefooted. And the Volkswagen says 28IF because he would have been 28 if, if he had died. He had not been and the thing is, the, the remaining Beatles, although they kept, wanted to keep it a secret, they also wanted to tell you all about it by encoding really? it in the record. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com slash start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. So post this Led Zeppelin discovery, in quotes, it actually infected our public consciousness to the degree that the California State Assembly proposed and debated a new law, uh, which was debated within their Consumer Protection and Toxic Materials Committee. Ah, so it's like asbestos to hear about Satan's tool shed. Where, the, where uh, records were going to have to have warning stickers on them that said this record contains subliminal backwards messages that may lead you to Satan. That may mislead you into thinking that it's fun to smoke marijuana. Or other, or other crazy ideas. And this was actually debated on in, in, the, in the assembly. And did was, it pass? It did not pass. And there was a similar bill that actually did pass in Arkansas. But it was returned, uh, vetoed basically, by Arkansas Governor Bill Clinton. Ah, uh, if anybody's going to be defending reprobate uh, degenerate messages in... That's right. In 70s rock. Marijuana smoking be, Bill Clinton. It's going to be President Bubba. Uh, so in the end, there wasn't any actual legislation that passed, but it was part of the formation of the parents, the PMRC, the Parents Music Resource Center, which was a group in the public interest that was spearheaded by Tipper Gore, our vice president's wife. There must have been fights in the Clinton administration about this, right? Bill's trying to get Satan back in the in the Zeppelin, and Tipper's <laughs> like, "No, Bill, no." Tipper's out there trying to put stickers on your two live crew records on your two live crew records because they say bad words. But also, there was an aspect of it that was concerned about subliminal messages. It was again another sort of panic about music, and particularly now hip hop music you know, that it was infecting our youth and turning them into 
degenerates. These things are all proxy panics, right? You can't fight the real enemy. You, uh, you, you can't keep your kids from learning that sex and marijuana and rock and roll are fun. Right. So you have to kind of pick an enemy you can win. Imaginary <laughs> satanic tool sheds and label them as such. Right. Well, so this culminated in 1985 in the great state of Nevada when two young men, Raymond Belknap and James Vance, were smoking marijuana. They had listened to another one, Bites of Dust, apparently. Mm -hmm. And listening to Judas Priest. And at the end of their marijuana smoking, Judas Priest listening out by the gravel pit, hang out with one another, they decided... They decided to make a suicide pact. Oh. So Raymond and James, who were both, you know, Raymond was 18, James was 20. They made a suicide pact, and Raymond took his 12-gauge shotgun and killed himself, shot himself in the head. James then took the gun, put it under his chin, but as he pulled the trigger, the gun slipped, and it shot off his lower jaw, but uh. didn't kill him. And in the aftermath, James described a situation where they were listening to Judas Priest's Beyond the Realms of Death. And decided that, you know, that life was sort of uh, meaningless. And then... The, the, the next song was Better By You, Better Than Me. Tell her now I've got to go Out in the streets and down the shore Tell her the world's not much for living more It's better by you, better than me A Judas Priest tune which apparently has a message backwards in the chorus that says, do it. Does it really have it, or this was heard by... I have listened to the track backwards many times because it's just in my nature to do. And you... And you survived. I did. Uh, because probably I wasn't listening to Beyond the Realms of Death before. The two work together. Right, shuffle saved your life. Uh, but you really have to want to hear do it. Because it's going zops, and if you hear a do it in there, uh, God bless you. But James's parents, obviously heartbroken, they're looking for any explanation they can to make sense of this terrible tragedy. Right, and living in a period where. Uh, for the the prior couple of years, this was uh, really widely understood to be potentially very true idea. They sued Judas Priest in Nevada court for uh, contributing to the murder of Raymond Belknap and uh, the maiming of James Vance. And James Vance ultimately died of his wounds. He died in a coma, right? Several years later, or a few years later, he slipped into a coma and died. And so Judas Priest appeared in Nevada court and uh, were presented with this evidence that they had, that they had intentionally encoded these messages. And this is when their manager said, like, why would we 
tell our fans right. to kill themselves. It doesn't make sense. But this is no joke for them. You know, they've got in the hands of uh, in the hands of 12 people too dumb to get out of jury duty is, you know, potentially your future as an artist and millions of dollars. Yeah. And and at the time, um, this is 1990 by the time Judas Priest actually appears in court. So this is a long time past the point where this idea was originally introduced. But within the popular culture at this time, there was this new scandal, which was there was a, a daycare center in Colorado. All right. Where daycare paranoia uh, owned by a couple of people who were f- kind of creepy looking and who surrounded themselves with little stuffed animals. And they were weirdos for sure. But there, it was suggested that they had been abusing kids in Dozens r- of kids. In ritual satanic ways. In ritual satanic ceremonies. And all these kids were bringing back so-called repressed memories of this. Right. The kids did not remember it until they were, you know, put into interview scenarios where it was suggested to them, were you in a satanic ritual by any chance? Or what, you know, it wasn't quite which, that blatant. Yeah, which runes were on the knife? Yeah, show me on the doll where right. they set you on fire uh, in, and read the Lord's Prayer backwards. And all of these kids came out and said, yes, we were satanically abused and we, we forgot about it, but now we're remembering it. And so the, all these ideas were still really in play in our culture. And so Judas Priest took the stand. And what's crazy is that Better By You, Better Than Me is actually a cover by the band Spooky Tooth. Huh. Um, Judas Priest famous for their covers. They did Green Man Alishi, Diamonds and Rust. They were they they did quite a few covers in the 70s. In this case, did they try to pass the buck to Spooky Tooth? No, but I think they I think they they stood their ground and ultimately their argument was, is there any proof that this is real? Like, can you show me other than this one instance where a kid implausibly shot himself because he heard backwards do it? Can you demonstrate how this works? And what's interesting is that uh, a man named William Yarrell, who was who is a self-described neuroscientist, which is to say not a real neuroscientist. <laughs> he was part of the original Paul Crouch uh, hysteria about Stairway to Heaven, and his final act was to testify in the Judas Priest trial that this, in fact, was a, um, you know, was a real phenomenon. But I think in all of my research, it's been studied many times, and there's no truth to the fact that, or there's no evidence that listening to backwards talking in a, well, first of all, there's no evidence that some of this stuff was intended. There are now lots of bands that put hidden messages in their music. That's the thing. It's self-fulfilling prophecy. It really These is. guys, by saying there was a, a secret uh, agenda of rock, these pastors essentially created a secret agenda in rock <laughs> yeah. to screw with parents. If you're a metal band now and you don't include a backwards message to Satan in your music, you're hardly considered uh, authentic. But in the, now probably all the lyrics are satanic, but the secret messages are like, follow the golden rule. <laughs> Pay it forward. Do nice things to others. Buy coffee for the guy in front of you at Starbucks. That's right. Obey your parents. <laughs> exactly. They know best. Uh, but Judas Priest was, I mean, the case was thrown out of court. It wasn't, it never even went to the jury. It was, it was just determined that there was Summary wasn't, judgment. Yeah, there wasn't sufficient evidence. You're right. There is clinical work now by not just self-described neuroscientists, but actual accredited graduate ones <laughs> where they, you know, and it's very easy to do, you know, just play, you know, give, give kids, uh, give uh, subjects a battery of questions. 
then play reversed messages, play the Lord's Prayer backwards, play another one bites the dust backwards or whatever, give them the same battery of tests, see if their attitudes changed in any way. And no one has ever been able to find such an effect. It's And it's common sense, you know, like if my conscious mind can't hear the backwards stuff about sad Satan, you know, what are the odds that some part of me can't? Why would that even evolve? What would the evolutionary advantage be to... Uh, to being able to understand um, Robert Plant backwards, although well, I guess I guess mentioning evolution is not a not a deal killer for these folks. What's What's interesting about us is that we are pattern recognizers, and one of the reasons that when we play that music backwards and do hear and are able to hear these messages in what is what is effectively just noise, is that we are we have evolved uh, a talent to see patterns. Uh, that is a, that is an advantage to us out when we're hunting giraffes to see, uh, to see and hear things that stand out from normal background noise. Sure. Solve the problem. So, so there is a case of positive bias in this, where if you suggest to me that these lyrics say smoke marijuana, I will be able to hear it. And this is the thing about theories of the unconscious mind there is a kind of limitlessness to the suggestion that our that our ninety percent of our brains that we're not using are actually picking up stimulus in various ways, backwards and upside down, and and in cultural encoding and so forth and so on. All very hard to prove, but very very seductive. And that concludes backmasking. Entry 091.EP0427, certificate number 30148, in the omnibus. In the unlikely event social media still exists in your era, tweets are archived at at Omnibus Project. Our handles on Twitter were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. Or if you want to reach John Roderick's satanic twin, John also maintained an Instagram account under the same name not the Satan Toolshed one. Our address for email, which was a form of written electronic communication that we ignored when we received them, was omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. Futurelings, from our vantage point in your distant, distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. If providence allows... We hope to be back with you in our sad tool shed for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs> <laughs>